Hello, everyone. Welcome. This is John Henry Soto. Welcome to Soto in Trouble. Today's uh, topic is going to be very interesting. We're going to be talking about risks and taking risks. You hear it all the time. You hear the gurus out there. You got to take risks. You got to take risks in life. Well, you know, if you got kids and they got to eat, how big is that risk? You know, how important is it that you take that risk and jeopardize the food for your children? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be diving in. Um, as I'm on my podcast here, I wanted to, uh, I, sometimes I did it on Instagram where I was live on Instagram. Today, I'm actually live on Facebook. And that's a little bit different for me. Um, I'm trying to get a good angle here, but unfortunately... With the face, this is the best I ha I got. <laughs> but anyway, so back to uh, what I was saying, you know, taking risks, you know. So here's some of the risks that I that I took in, and hopefully this will provide you some value and some insight into um, into what what I'm thinking about and what I'm thinking with. I grew up, as most of you know, as some of you know anyway. Um, I grew up in the South Bronx during the '70s and the '80s, as you know. 70s, the, the Bronx was burning. That was a real thing. It freaking burnt down. I remember I was there. I would, I would literally go to the window at night uh, as a five-year-old and be able and, and put a chair up and climb on this chair and look out the window to see the fires because I thought that the fires were cool. As a five-year-old, I had no idea that my neighborhood was being decimated by greed and by some crazy people. And I would I would look out and see these fires. It seemed like every night that that would that would happen, you know. Um, and then the eighties came along, and then the birth of crack was heavily heavily in the environment. And I saw lives get decimated there, and families, and and uh, the tragedy of um, the the pain that I saw, you know, seeing th these uh, individuals go from being alive and to just barely living um you know it it was really just a tragic just a tragic thing to be able to witness and growing up in that environment gave me a sense of taking risks was not that big of a deal depending on what they were and what i mean by that is that i had i was at the bottom you know when you look at the south bronx back in those days the South Bronx was in the news constantly. We had presidents visit. We had Jimmy Carter come down and walk the ruins of of the Bronx. We had Ronald Reagan come down and do the same and get heckled by pretty much everyone that he came in contact with. Um, and it was it was a time where I at, at the time I didn't know this was the case. I just thought this is where we live. I did I didn't know what was happening. As I got older, probably a teenager. I realized, I think I was reading an article uh, in, an, in one of those local little newspapers, and I remember reading, <laughs> I remember reading uh, the South Bronx, the worst city or the worst area in the country, in the country. It had the highest crime rate, had the highest murder rate, it had the highest drug use, highest teenage pregnancy. Um, it was like this, it was really, really just unbelievable. And then the fires uh, as well. So 
I grew up with this type of environment where I thought, well, anywhere else I go is up at this point, you know? So taking the risk was not that big of a deal for me to go into New York City to take a job in New York City, work in health clubs, you know, get roommates with like, I think I, I must have roomed with, I had roommates, at least 15 or 16 different people um, throughout my, my, before I got married and, and just do it and play music and get out there and just do the, uh, do the deed as, as it were. And part of the, the challenge really was not taking the risk. It was just not going back. You know, and unfortunately, I, I do have an affinity for the South Bronx, so I don't like to make it sound like it was this horrible, horrible place. Visually, it was horrible, and what was happening in it was horrible, but my family was great, and I had really great friends there, which I still do. And, but, you know, I, I was always afraid of going back to that. I did not want to be, I, I wanted to live, I wanted to just be able to walk down the street holding my guitar at 9 p.m. at night, 10 p.m. at night, without having the fear of being robbed, shot, killed. And and that, to me, when I first got into Manhattan and I lived on the Upper West Side with a bunch of roommates on this this uh, kind of beat-up apartment up there, a sublet, uh, illegal sublet, by the way, um, I, I was amazed at how I could walk outside. And, I mean, I was always cautious because you know anything could happen anywhere but i was amazed at how many people were outside at at eight o'clock at night and just kind of eat drinking coffee at cafes and hanging out and it just seemed like wow okay this is this is another thing that i did and i was already in my 20s when i moved out of the front i was i was at least 24 25 years old so i wasn't a kid you know i was i was a, I was a man already still kind of learning these things so you know, I got a late start in, in life in a lot of things. And one of the uh, the challenges for me wa was not so much, like I said, about the risks. It was really just the fear of going back. But today we're talking about risk and what some of the risks that I took. Well, going into a, a Upper West Side, which was predominantly white and... Um, I honestly, and this is going to sound crazy, did not know any white people. You know, I did not know white people. I knew there was one guy um, who was Irish, and he lived in our community growing up in the Bronx, him and his family. And he was the only guy I knew that looked white, you know, and he was white, he was, or he was Irish. And he had a white, you know, he didn't, he didn't look like any of us. Um, good friend of mine, um, still out there, still somewhat in communication through social media. And it was a, it was an odd thing to go into Manhattan and just see, be surrounded by these white people. And I, I actually, I always, always had a, 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 an idea that, that racism and, and this whole thing that, and I'm not going to go into that really heavily today, but I always had this idea that. It was actually not as strong for me, whether that was just being naive or anything. I, I went into every situation the way I go into every situation. It's just me. 
I don't care if you're the president of the United States, and I don't care if you're the guy who's who picks up the garbage here in my house or in our neighborhood, or the guy at the deli sells a you know selling us our sandwiches. Everyone is to me a human being. There, and I always had that viewpoint, and that came really from my mom mainly, because my mom was always very, very. Uh, she was always wanted us to treat everyone well you know she always would say you know you have to treat people good you know you have to treat you know no matter what they are you know we're all we're all human humans you know and i was always very uh you know my grandparents were a little different you know they're a little older school at that point and um had different views on some some subjects but they always uh, were very caring people and they instilled that in me so i was able to grow up with the idea that I can go into an environment that I know that probably someone else thinks that I maybe I don't belong there and I'm just going to do it anyway, you know, and I have to be honest that I actually, I think just being that naive, you know, they say ignorance is bliss. Well, my ignorance really got me into the door to a lot of things that I probably wouldn't have gone into had I thought this, uh, you know, being a Puerto Rican surrounded by white people was was a thing you know i just did not think that at all and i went in and um also when i met my wife my wife is a tall white woman from the midwest i didn't think she's a tall white woman from the midwest i thought this is pamela my wife or or, or a girl that i saw uh in my uh in my office where i was working at the time and you know even when we dated it wasn't like a, a thing it was just this she's just pamela you know and and she had the same idea, you know, I was just John, you know, uh, she was also very tall. I'm also very short. And it was not something that we really had a, a big thing on. So the, the, the taking the risks, you know, that we took almost seemed like there were risks on being somewhat naive, you know. And when it started getting difficult, and I'll tell you, this is the interesting part that I'm that I hopefully will will translate to uh, to providing you some value. But when it became difficult to make to take a risk, when things became difficult, when things were challenging, when we had to think about things, that's when all everything went downhill. Because for a very long time there, I was just doing. I was just doing. I was being this person. I was doing stuff and I was having success. Be, do, have. I talk about that a lot. I have my uh, little thing here. Be, do, have. It's backwards because it's on this thing here. But it is really, really important to understand that you have to first be. Hey, Rose, how are you? Thank you. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Great to talk to you. Great to see you. Um, so... You know, you have to first be the thing, then you have to do the work, and then you have to have the success. This is like what I live by. This is my model. This is on my religion. This is this is part of my my religion, my part, my my foundation that I think about a lot. And what I mean by that is like see, some people say, well, you know what? I want to, I want to 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 have success. I want to I want to do acting. I want to I want to do some acting. So I can have success, so I can be a, an actor, so I can be a successful actor, which is completely ass backwards, right? You have to first be the actor. You first are the actor. You say, 
you know, I'll talk to, to young people all the time and I'll say, you know, what do you do? I say, well, I, I kind of want to be an actor. I say, no, you are an actor. You're improving your skills to get better so you can get work or you can get more opportunities. But you are an actor. You have to first be the actor. Second thing, you have to do the work. You can't just say I'm an actor and then not go out and audition or, or shoot or and that goes with everything, music, writing, whatever it is. So you have to be able to do the work, go out. And then that will lead you to have. You will have the success that you want. You will have it. And it all depends on your on how much doingness you you put into it. The more you do, the more you have, right? Um, it's like the more you the more you do, the more you live. <laughs> you know, it's like it, it, all those things kind of go together. And what happened for me was when a risk became really difficult, um, which was probably, I would say, 10 years, 15 years ago, a uh, few things happened in my life that were uh, uh, really traumatic, um, really, really deep. And, uh, you know, Rose is actually on here and, and she's very dear to my heart because um, that was one of the things that happened. And I won't go into that. But um, during that moment, during that time in my life, I remember thinking what I had, that I have to figure out what I want to do. I have to, I have to start thinking about things. And I have to start thinking. And I wrote a song, song called Thinking because I started thinking to myself that this was a, a, a thing that I should do. And a huge mistake really came from that because what I, sh I definitely should not have been thinking. I should have been doing and I should have been being. I should have just been being and doing and having because the thinkingness really just what it did was it blocked a lot of that whole beingness that I had. And I started just going into my own head. And when you start going into your own head, a lot of things are up there that just are no good. Not just that, but you start pulling in people that are giving you garbage and that are giving you ideas and views. So the risks and taking risks just became a lot harder for me. And it became a lot harder for those around me. And here's my family coming home as I'm doing my podcast. But hey, I'm on my podcast right now, so I'll be with you all very shortly. So the taking the risk became like a really, really challenge for me. And not just that, but it came, it became something that had um, given me doubt. Everything that I had done up to that point, and then from that point on, I was doubting. Because remember, I'm thinking now. And when you think too much, it screws you up. You start coming up with like, rationalizing things and 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 coming up with uh uh things that really will are setting you back that you're not even aware that you're, they're setting you back you start listening to people that you have no business listening to you start connecting with people you start pulling people in that you shouldn't even be around because you're just a peer instead of just here and and being and just doing you know um, and that became the, the hardest part of taking the risk. So I hope that provides some value for you. I hope that that actually the be, do, have, if you're interested in finding out more about that, um, you know, I have it written down here. Like I said, be, do, have, and it's a date there on something that happens that was very significant in my life that I keep here on my desk to remind me um, that 
if you if you're interested in that, please just uh, send me a message. At, uh, you know, you could always John Henry Soto at gmail.com. You can uh, follow me on my social media, which is at John Henry Soto. You can go to my website, johnhenrysoto.com as well. Um, and I would gladly sit with you and go over how you can apply this to your life and how important it is. Uh, because taking a risk is really not what you're doing. It's not taking a risk. It's, it's really deciding what it is that you want in life and then making a plan to get that. Sometimes a lot of these gurus that are out there, they say, well, you got to take a risk. You know, you got to get out there and you got to risk it. Well, there are certain things that you got to put yourself out there that's uncomfortable and you got to put yourself in uncomfortable situations. That's fine. But it's not so much of that, this risk thing that people talk about where you have to kind of go out and, and sell your everything that you have and then go out and buy a, a, a Winnebago and travel across the country because you got to risk something and you got to live life and all that. It's not any of that. It, it really has to do a lot with you yourself having a plan of what it is that you want, writing it down. I have my book right here that I write down all my, my notes. I have my book down here. Um, I have very, very specific goals that I want. And every once in a while, every I have to go back and reassess them because I'll get pulled away. You know, now I'll take a risk. I'll say, listen, I'm not going to work this year. Pamela is going to work and we're going to take our money and because I want to shoot a couple of films and I want to do this and I want to do that. Right. And we did that. We did that for years. That's risk. But it wasn't really because we actually sat down and we organized our lives in order to have that opportunity. You have to have, that's another important thing. You have to have a spouse or, you know, a partner that really is on board with what you're, with what you're doing. Because if your partner is not there, then um, that's a whole other, that's a whole other podcast, which I believe I did. I did do one if you want to go back earlier and uh, go into that. But so making the plan is really important. Sitting down and finding out what your ideal scene is. What is your ideal scene? Where do you want to be? What do you want to do? Write that down on a piece of paper and then you backtrack, right? You backtrack and you try to find out what it is that you have to do to actually get to that ideal scene, right? And um, one of the things that you should be also doing is you should be writing daily goals, you know, daily goals on what exactly is that you should be completing that day. By the end of the week, I should have this. By the end of the month, I should have this. By the end of six months, I should have this. By the end of the year, this is the goal. And then the following year, boom. And then you have one major ideal scene. Now, this is called an administrative scale. And it's an actual thing. Again, it's from my my my, uh, my religion and my church where you sit down and you organize your life. You know, it's not a religious uh, activity. It's a, more of a business, uh, personal development activity. Um and you basically you take down and you break down all the goals that you're looking for in your life and you put them onto plans, daily tasks, and they all get really, really written up and really nicely. And you have now an idea. You have a plan. You actually can get up in the morning and like, what am I doing today? Okay, I'm doing these three things that will get me to the next day. And all these things are like really, really, really uh, uh, super important and I think that 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 part of uh, uh, of my life is something that I really want to share with others because I, I struggled so much with so much uh, adversity during that time, and I was I was 
I was able to keep going. And the only way that I was able to keep going was because I was implementing these tools of life. And these things really, really just did help me. So the be, do, have. And that's really important. I just want to read something that Rose wrote here. Uh, sounds like you are coming from your heart, not your head. <laughs> Dave has left an impact on so many people. He's looking down on heaven, John, giving you great mail. Ah, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I uh, agree 100%. Um, yeah, Dave was an incredible, incredible person. Uh, this is my daughter actually here, Brianna. I'm live on my podcast and I'm live there. Say hi as you eat a plum. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> so, um, definitely, um, uh, I don't know, honey. Um, the impact that, that Dave had on my life, it's, it's, it's huge and i don't think a day goes by that i don't think about them i mean this i know it sounds crazy for me to say that but it absolutely does um um i think about him a lot especially listening to steve ray vaughn who's my favorite guitar player and i remember just a quick story on that one day um we were driving home from a rehearsal and we were we were kind of debating on what was the, the greatest artist overall you know now you, you know, just artists, like one single person, you know, you, people would say, you know, Bruce Springsteen, uh, Michael Jackson, you know, all these kind of things. And I remember thinking in my head, it was always going to be Stevie Ray Vaughan, you know, and me and, and, and Dave were talking and we both almost simultaneously were like, well, Stevie Ray Vaughan. And we were, and we were like, Stevie Ray Vaughan, you would pick Stevie Ray Vaughan. He was like, yeah, Stevie Ray Vaughan. And we were, we all were amazed because we were, we chose Stevie because we felt that he was the most connected to his instrument and vocally and the whole thing just worked so well as an artist we were just always blown away by Stevie Ray Vaughan and uh, I remember that story and, and just numerous numerous stories of hanging out with Dave and and just a a great-hearted person um definitely somebody who uh, uh um who I truly truly love and the whole family just loved them tremendously so thank you Rose for 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 uh writing that that was very uh emotional i should say um so with that said we're on uh 22 minutes here on on this podcast uh going on risks um you know i want you to remember that taking a risk does not mean uh risking something you know it just means planning it what is it that you want and if you do that correctly you don't have to put the word risk into it it just becomes life you're living your life and your your life is is in a direction and it's organized and you have things that you want to accomplish on a daily basis and yes it may take a long time and it may but but if you're moving forward then that's the key factor so um with that said i want to thank you all on, on my podcast here for tuning in this is uh, john henry soto for soto in trouble um my next podcast is going to be um I'm really going to go into a little bit more on not just the taking the risk, but I want to go on actual personal development of a day to day activities and what you should be doing in order to uh, organize and to get as much stuff done. Um, I, I call it the 168 hours, right? That's how many days, we, uh, how many hours we have in a, uh, a, in a week, right? So with 168 hours, um seven days a week what you can accomplish in those uh 168 hours so i'm going to talk about that 
on my next podcast. I hope you'll tune in. Tune in. My name is John Henry Soto. This is Soto in Trouble. Thank you so much for tuning in. God bless you. I appreciate all your listeners and all your questions and everything. And I look forward to chatting with all of you again very soon. Thank you very much. God bless. Peace.